Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Comedian's Interview for my blog and podcast, A Rich Comic Life. My name is Richard Gill, and my blog describes my experiences of watching over 1,000 comedians over the last 47 years and counting. My guest today is the wonderful Mr. Barry Ferns. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. It's a delight to be here. Thank you so much. And to be one of the thousands you've watched, one of the over the thousand and that's bonkers. It really is. My 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 first ever gig was um Les Dawson on a family oh. holiday. I mean wow. perfect. In in Scarborough in 1977, and then and then a year later. Uh, we saw Tommy Cooper, and that was it. I I, I was hooked. So well, my, uh, my first ever was a pantomime. I think always think pantomimes were um, yeah. the first time you kind of got any sense of breaking the fourth wall, which was kind of the comedy in a pantomime. People kind of mock pantomimes, but they can be they're they're great, really great. And who was it? Um, I think Cannon and Ball came down to Bournemouth and did a pantomime. You know who I always loved? Anita Dobson. She's not a comedian, yeah. but she was great in pantomime. I bet she was really, superb, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We saw we saw Cannon and Ball a few years ago um, uh, doing pantomime, and and um, uh, I was in the pub afterwards, and they were there. I didn't get a picture, but um, uh, but um, I, I went up and I said, oh, "I'm such a big I'm, I'm I'm such a big fan of both of you." And Bobby Ball just turned around and gave me the most perfect grin and went, "We're still working, cocker." <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant. It was so good. Anyway. Um, well, no, it's not about that. It's it's, it's about uh, the uh, the next hour is going to be about your comedy career. I'm delighted you're here. Thank you so much for being a guest. And I'd like to start off with going right back to the start and asking you, how did you become a comedian in the first place? Well, you know, I kind of ask myself that question sometimes because I, I it was pretty rational. Like I when I when I was about seven, I got a tape recorder that you could record your voice on at the same time as a personal stereo. And I used to read joke books into that and then listen back to myself telling those jokes under my covers late at night. Like, mm. But the tragedy was, you see, though, is that I always wanted to be funny and I never was. I was that annoying person in class that was always trying to be funny and never quite managing it. Mm. And then at the age of about 13, 14, and part of that was because of a tough home life, and, you know, other kids sp smell vulnerability and they kind of like prey on it a lot. But um, about the age of 13 or 14, I, there's something that clicked in. I was studying comedy routines. I remember writing down kind of like episodes of Blackadder and highlighting all the jokes and, you know, Newman and Badil writing all their jokes out line okay, for yeah. line for line. And there was something that osmosized in. And about the age of 13, I, I became funny at school and... Um, and then um, began writing my own jokes. And I did my own, my, my first ever gig when I was 16 years old. So I, it was kind of from the age of seven to the age of 16, I was doing the research. <laughs> and and let's, say, let's say I died every single year between <laughs> seven and 12. Like, and, and, and it's interesting, I haven't, I don't die too much because I'm quite on stage because I'm quite a friendly performer. Yeah, it's yeah, quite hard yeah. to die if you're, if you're a good MC because you can kind of always swing out of it. But I did die hard for the first kind of 12 years of my life. <laughs> so oh. I paid my dues there. 
<laughs> it's it's weird because um because having seen so many comedians over the years um i can memorize jokes and tell them to fr- to friends and whatnot and and um i i I think because I've got the laugh, I can make it funny. But but it's like half of them go, "Well, I don't get that." And I, I don't know that I've told it wrong. I've did a wrong thing. Or <laughs> but, it, but 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 I, but I love telling one line jokes, especially to people. Um, uh, let's move on. Um, let's. Uh, um, can you describe your first ever gig, please? So you're so you're you're bowling along, and uh, you must have thought one day, "I'd like to be a comedian." Yeah. So I'd been writing jokes. I've been working at Burger King and I'd been doing paper rounds. So I used to do um, paper round. I used to do about 12 paper rounds a week. Was, I was really kind of working. And I used to have three three tapes that I listened to. One was Victoria Wood, Lucky Bag. One was Rowan Atkinson Live. Oh, um, and one was this Esquire magazine tape that had like Bill Hicks on and Greg Bruce yeah. and some other things. And just used to listen to it again and again and again, taking everything in. And I was writing jokes at the same time. And I'd started to work at Burger King after that. And I was, it was such a mundane job. I'd be sweeping up or doing things and be thinking of jokes, thinking of one-liners mostly, because that's kind of where my head was. And so I'd been writing it and I, I didn't really know what else to do about it. My experience of going to gigs had been, I went to Glastonbury Festival for free when I was 14 and it was free to get in. And I sat in the comedy tent and saw the whole London or the UK comedy circuit come to me. I just sat in it from from 12 o'clock midday to 12 o'clock midnight. And it's just, you know, Malcolm Hardy was emceeing or Booth And like, it just, you know, Harry Hill was headlining or Rob Newman or whoever else was coming along. And it was just comedian up. And I was just taking it in. I went to all the festivals that year and just saw, went to Reading Festival in the comedy tent, went to Phoenix Festival in the comedy tent. And to the point where comedians would kind of recognize me from that. Lee Evans came through once and went, you were here at Glastonbury, weren't you? Because Lee Evans liked to see the... um, like to see the inside, like to see the area that he was performing, and he was he was quite a nervous performer because I met him a yeah. few times around it, and like really diligent and quite nervous. So I'd kind of got this sense of what it was, but I had no idea how to access it. And then a comedy club opened in Bournemouth, and I saw it in the paper, and it was like wanted acts for comedy club. And so I went down, and there was me, and there was a guy who I realised I only realised ten years later he was he had a stage name. I knew him as Eric. His name was Eric Shun. Er- Erection. That was his name. That was his funny name. But I was calling him, I was calling him Eric the whole time. I had no wow. idea it was a fake name. <laughs> so, so I went to do the, I went on stage and told my kind of puns. And I was, you know, 16-year-old, really I looked younger than 16, telling kind of jokes like this was one of my jokes. I was in the woods the other day, walking in the woods the other day, and I, I tripped up on his frog spawn, you know, picked it up and read it, and uh, <laughs> na- naked toads, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> so, like, just kind of puns. Um, and I, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the guy that was running it, a guy called Mr. Jug, or Chris McCall, went, yep, you'll be good. And the other acts on the bill were Andrew Maxwell, which wow. was just starting off then, and I think it was Dave Thompson had come down. And um, and I went on and I was so nervous beforehand. There was a car park behind it. It was at a place called the Bricklayer's Arms. Yeah, yeah. And um, used to, I was kind of so nervous beforehand. I was smoking 
um, <laughs> more than I've ever smoked because um, I smoked back then. And um, and yeah, and you know what? It did. Most of the jokes, the crowd were kind of politely quiet for uh, because they were they didn't heckle or anything like that. It was maybe a five minute set, but there were about five jokes that landed. And I've got a recording of it. I, I, I've got a, and it's just the sound of the when it landed was so strong and so overwhelmingly yeah. strong. I was kind of hooked from that. It's like, wow, that I did it. I did it. <laughs> and then I, I became a bit of a, not a regular at the club. But then I did another gig at the Comedy Box in Bristol, which is still there, run by Steve Lankt. Uh, the headliner was Simon Pegg before Simon Pegg was well known. And um, uh, a guy called Kev F was emceeing, who now does the Scottish falsetto sock puppets. Um, yeah, yeah. Does that. But, um, but yeah, and then the third gig from that was a paid gig where I went to, I did a gig in Midsummer Norton. because <laughs> Steve Lankt, it was back then, Steve Lankt could see that I kind, of, I kind of seemed to be good enough that Bristol went very well and he went could you do 10 minutes in Midsummer Norton next Tuesday and I was 16 so I was telling my parents I was going to visit yes, of universities or whatever. you know I, I had to catch a bus I, I had nowhere to stay I caught the bus to Bristol that night and then hung around in Bristol until the early bus came because I had nowhere Brilliant. to stay um and then in Midsummer Norton and that's that uh, Matt Lucas was headlining before right. he was well known and I got to know Matt through that but um, and that was just in the middle of midsummer fucking Norton in the middle of the night. Just like, all right, both me and Matt were like, "What are we going to do now?" Uh, so, um, what sort of year was this? Oh, that was nineteen ninety seven. Because um, I I came to London in ninety two. I've been in London for thirty years. My home wow. city, Carlisle. And um, the first time I came down to London, my 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 brother lived here, and uh, I used to come and see him. And the first time I think in London for me was 1988, and the first bill I ever saw was um, the Comedy Store, which was Linda Smith, God bless wow. her, um, yeah. uh, John Maloney was emceeing, Richard Morton was on, and top of the bill was someone called Charles Fleischer, who. Wow was never heard of again because uh, he went to Hollywood and he voiced Roger Rabbit. <laughs> he? <laughs> he did all right then. He was, was like this nutcase, this American nutcase with voices. It was amazing. Wow. But I but I, I I knew I had the the, the bug for it because when I, when I first started out, I, I, I was talking to you before we came on the record. My first gig, ever gig was Les Dawson. Then it was Tommy Cooper in the 70s. And then the third one where I established my laugh, we, we went for a holiday in Torquay and we went to see Tom O'Connor. Mm. And uh, and um, I uh, uh, he came on and he did his patter and I laughed so hard at him that I actually floored the act. He didn't know what to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> so he walked off and then came back on again and then had to start again. I thought I've got something here. This is this is good. So, uh, but but I, I I then started to go very regularly and all the names that you said that inspired you with the Victoria Wood, Bill Hicks, uh, Lee Evans and um, everybody I saw either in Carlisle or Manchester or in London and and I then started creating a spreadsheet and that's where the, 
That's where the blog came from. I thought, I thought, who's going to want to read this? <laughs> wow. I love the way that you established a laugh. I mean, in the yeah. same way that can be some, like I'd be saying, I established my first routine or my joke. You're like, I've got something here. I've got a laugh. It's like, I tell you yeah, what, just these loud. Days, these days, you've got a laugh. You can get employment kind of like in a comedy audience anywhere. You're absolutely. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Um, so your gigs are going okay. Did, did they. So, so the start of them was it like five minute spots that you did in pubs, and you and you brought friends along? Because I I'm normally the friend that goes <laughs> along and supports a lot of new comedians. Um, was that how it worked? Was that how you got into regular gigging? No, well that that didn't happen. And then I mean I did my first five minute spot at the comedy club in Bournemouth, Mr. Jones, right. and then second at the um comedy box but then steve lang said have you got more material and i said well i have a long you know and he booked me for i think it was 15 minutes wow and, and i mean that was me throwing everything at the wall that's my third gig and i think i did about 12 and um it went much better than it should have done um but it was you know and i can't believe really the learning curve on those those three gigs and then i was there weren't that many gigs on the south coast at that point so right. there was the crocodile club in 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 brighton i remember doing that and then mr jugs was but in that first year i wasn't so and you'd kind of really just be doing tryout spots but at that yeah. point one of the reasons i always say this people don't realize it but one of the reasons that things got so hard for comedians is that if it used to be in the 90s and early 2000s that if you're a new comedian you were often on the bill with a lot of very established acts that like you'd have harry hill at the you know and then in the in the middle you'd have somebody that's experienced doing a 10 minute spot you know and then you'd have a five minute spot who's brand new might yeah. never have done it before you know and then you've got the opening act is, is an established act but you'd have, and that could go any way, that five-minute spot, because it could go brilliantly, it could go awfully. But what was special about that is it gave new acts a chance to see the established acts. It gave the established acts a chance to see the new acts. And it really integrated people. And there was a sense of, and you could get progressed. So if you did well on that night, the um, booker would say, I've seen you, you've done well, here's 10 minutes. Here's some money for 10 minutes. Wow. And I always say that the one of the weaknesses about comedy these days is that you don't as many get the the new acts on the big builds, you know? Yeah, yeah. And one people always say, Angel Comedy, is like, how come you don't put, do longer sp slots? And I always say that our short slots at Angel is like all of the short slots in the country that evaporated, <laughs> like they're all here at Angel Comedy because like that's what, that's kind of, you need those slots when you start to begin. You need to play to a full room. Because often, like you said, if you're somebody's friend, Sometimes, I mean, you know, you're playing to four people in a room and it's so hard to find out if yeah, it's yeah. funny or not to four people. But with a full room on a Friday or Saturday night, you know. I mean, you know if it doesn't work and you know if it does work. But you get a real sense of the life of it. And, the, you know, so I always think it's a shit. Like, so I was very lucky to have started when, when there was that kind of new acts could, could go on. Like, you know, I performed with Alistair McGowan, Simon yeah. Pegg. Matt Lucas, Mark Lamar, and you know, and I was only doing five minute spots, and I was a nerd there going, "Hello, how are you? <laughs> I've seen you on TV. It's very exciting." No. But, but, you know, and then if I did, had a, had a good gig, they'd be like, you know, they'd be friendly, and they'd be like, "That was really good, yeah, yeah. encouraging." Or I remember the the hardest 
Death. I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you that when you come to. You, there's a question about the hard question later on. Yeah. And um, but it's about a, a big act who had a big effect. It's 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 interesting what you say because um, a lot of the comedians I talk to, they all say it's, uh, and I agree with them. It's all about experience, and I believe that you have to be a that, that you have to have a bad gig to become a better comic, and you yeah. gain from all the experience that you give, and 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 to say that you had the opportunity to do that on bills is fascinating, because I agree with you. I don't think. I don't know whether there's enough opportunity now if a, if a, if I or a friend of mine was just starting out to go round and experience all the different audiences. I don't know. I mean, um, we have just come off a pandemic, but um, uh, but but even so, you know, it is coming back to life big time. You know, the the the, the um, comedy clubs are open nearly every night now. Um, but, I mean, you're you're right there. I mean, yeah. one of the things that I think never gets really mentioned is that every audience is different just like every comedian yeah. is different and that yeah. playing a gig in dorset or in hartlepool mm-hmm. is totally different from playing a gig even in london playing a gig at the creek yeah. is totally different from playing a gig at the comedy store and yeah, you've got yeah. a totally different kind of you know and you do have to learn how to edit your act or how you say things i mean if you walk into certain places and you start swearing you are going to bomb however strong. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you open with your big vegan joke in Cardiff, it's not going to do as well as it might do in Islington. It's, like, you know. it's really interesting because I see most of the comedy now down in London, but when I go back to Carlisle, or um, I, I, I like to go to a lot of festivals and whatever, and 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 I see, I see comedy there as well. C- certainly in Carlisle, I've seen some big acts over the last few years who, uh, if I say to them, I'm going to be in the audience, they're going to think, oh, you know, it's fair, it reaches in, that's at least something. But they have, I, I watch them deal with difficult audiences because they, they don't know, either they've never been there before or um, uh, they, they've, they, they've been there once or twice. And it's like, oh, I don't know how this audience is going to react tonight. So, so, so it's very true what you say. Uh, yeah. But yeah, you only see that if you see multiple gigs like you do, or yeah, does, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, tell me about your writing process for a routine or a show. Do you have a specific um, way of writing? Do you do you have ideas? Do you write things down? How do you go about the process of writing a show? Um, if I'm talking to somebody and they laugh at something I say, I write it down put it into a little book that uh, of ideas. And then when I've got some time to myself, I'll sit down and go, is that, what's the nugget of that idea? Where is that idea coming from? And then if I think it's got some legs, I'll then, or, you know, if it's, if there's something that I can express that isn't just about the situation with that person, I'll then say it on stage or find a way to say it on stage. And then often if I say it on stage, it will grow from that. So, you know, if you, if you know, you've got one laugh, then I'll almost go right my scaffold is this set up this punchline how much space can I put in between that punchline or if I get a top something is there another topper I could put at the end of it like yeah, how many yeah. how many stepping stones can I get and how much can I 
what who's you know what is um what are the audience laughing more at or less at but it, it really comes from being on all the time and just thinking all the time of like what are what's somebody laughing at when you're chatting to them or yeah, i might have a thought and i might laugh at it myself i am also a person <laughs> would you say you're an analyzer do you analyze do you re, do you play back what you've said or do you analyze where you yeah. could get more laps or less laps after the the event I have to analyze because my memory is absolutely rubbish. Right. So I can, I've often in the past done said things on stage because I improvise a lot and I chat a lot as, as well. Um, and I'll often say something or improvise something and somebody will say to me afterwards, you know, that's, oh, that's a good joke. You should keep that joke. I remember James Acaster saying that um, you really should <laughs> be recording these because the amount of, premises you, you come up with <laughs> is ridiculous so you come up with a huge amount of premises which you kind of get one joke from but these are proper premises that you can run away with um he's, 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 he's an amazing comedian james aircaster he really is watching him is is fascinating he he um there's a there's a testimonials page on my on my blog and he gave me the best ever testimonial. He said to me, if I wasn't a comedian, I would happily sit next to Richard Gill and make him laugh all day. I thought that was lovely. <laughs> yeah, that's lovely. <laughs> his his I, performance I is always amazing. And you can see the analytical approach he's got to that. And he rinses a premise. So if he yeah. like if he comes up with a premise that he likes and gets the you know, gets a joy for, he can absolutely zero in on it and really get a lot of kind of very much so. have it, you know. Yeah, it's fascinating how how many different comedians approach it differently. But um, so thank you very much. So that, that that was a really good answer. Um, you are a compare as well as a comedian. Do you prefer comparing to doing a solo routine on stage, and why? Um, I think I don't compare them too much. I think I prefer doing a routine, but purely because it's a bit more selfish. Like um, as a compare, what you have to do is you, the, the, as a compare, you get to have fun, but you have to have, you have to include everybody. You have to bring everyone in. As an act, you do have to include people. You have to kind of be open as you're talking to them, but you're very much taking people along a path that you've decide, decided. Whereas an, as, a, as a compare, you, you all decide the path together uh, in a way. And you, you know when you've gotten to the destination, because the destination is we're all happy, we're all here, and we're all ready for the act. So it's, you kind of, it's, it's slightly different in the sense of, but I, I think I prefer, I, I know I definitely prefer doing spots because it's, um, I get to choose the pace, I get yeah. to choose the destination and the path. And and that is, you know, it's a, um, I guess it's less enjoyable energetically because I like feeding off other people, but it is, it's more enjoyable in terms of attention and uh, my intention and also kind of a conversation with the audience that kind of, that is of interest to me as well. I'm choosing what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I've, I've told this story many times to many comedians. Um, years and years ago, um, I um, had a good stand-up comedy myself. I wanted mm. to get it out of my system. 
uh, and I knew a promoter, and he said to me, "I've got I've got a gong show for you." And I said, "All oh, right, right. Well, I'll write a script." And I and I wrote a script about um, crashing cars in Carlisle just after I'd passed my driving test. I, I was never a very good driver, and he liked it. And he said, "And he said, right." He said. Um, they will gong you off if they don't like you. So I walked out. There was three people in the um, audience. And the first line I said was, um, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Many people think I look like Eddie the Eagle Edwards, the ski jumper, but I can't see the resemblance myself. And I think that's a great line because it looks like yeah, some, yeah, old yeah. Bloke, some old bloke at the back just went, fuck off and jumped me off. <laughs> I walked oh, up on footsteps and the, the promoter said, have another go, have another go. And the similar thing happened. And I said, I don't know whether I'll ever be a comedian, <laughs> but I'll support them all forevermore. But never say never. It's 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 the most wonderful thing to watch. It must be amazing to perform, you know, when when you've got your routines and everything ready, and you know you walk out and you've literally got thirty seconds for an audience to like you and and uh, or, or to warm to you. And as soon as you speak, you're away. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah? It's it's a great story you tell there because I do think that so much in life is about luck and yeah. circumstance, and I always think that you know, but for the you know, but for the way things happen, it could have gone a totally different way. Like if you hadn't had a heckler in those kind of ways, if it had been somebody going, "That's a great joke." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Been, Who knows? I could be interviewing <laughs> you right now. Well, I will be interviewing you for the Edinburgh for the Edinburgh podcast, but. Like, I, I always think that when somebody, I, you know, everything in life is hard work. And yeah. so, you know, we're all trying our hardest. So I always think it's a little bit disingenuous when somebody says, well done on your achievements. And everyone, like, yep, it's all me. It's like, <laughs> I saw a lot of it is luck, isn't it? Let's face it. Oh, oh without like, a doubt. You know, without the right a doubt. place at the right time. You can't, you can define yeah. how you can, you can reduce the variables like can work but you've got to have somebody that comes along and offers you something or so, you know that very very much so i mean i mean to find my niche to find this blog uh, in my mid 50s and, and the success of it and i hope my passion comes through when i'm writing about it or talking to people it's just extraordinary and i and i've got all the experience to build on having seen thousands as i said at the start you know um so we mentioned earlier, uh, I can't believe you have a bad gig, but please tell me your worst and best gig, please. Well, I mean, the, the bad gig that absolutely gutted me, it was my first proper death. And it was, <laughs> it was maybe my seventh or eighth gig. And it was a place called Cactus Jacks in Salisbury. And I've been asked to do the gig. It's somebody that had been come to another gig. Oh, do you want to do my gig? You know, and so I went there and I turned up at Cactus Jack's and it's a restaurant. And there's a pallet, just a wooden pallet in the corner of a restaurant. <laughs> and it's kind of half pub, half restaurant. I don't know what it was. It's a Cactus Jack's, right? And and there's a there's a microphone there. And I'm like, you know, I'm 16, maybe 17 at that time. And I've got my puns. That's all I've got. I've got no other real skills of like how to make this a gig. And the guy comes on stage and literally says, here's your first act, Barry Ferns. No warm up whatsoever. <laughs> Just like these guys didn't even, the audience didn't even know there was a gig happening. Right. And so I absolutely 
said my jokes to a confused mumble or a silence. But I tell you something, it, it was gutting. And I went to the back and there was a side area and I went to the back with a head in my hands. Now, the headliner that night was Dylan Moran. Oh, wow. Right? I mean, what Dylan Moran was doing in a Cactus Jacks, <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, he was he was such a great comedian even then, you know. Yeah. And um, and uh, you know, and he really took time to sit with me and just kind of go, "This this isn't really a gig, you know. This isn't a gig. This isn't you know the parameter. The, the, the what this is is it's a palette in the corner of a restaurant. You shouldn't judge how good you are." back you know on this and it was such a I really you know but the thing is I didn't really know Dylan Moore from anyone else <laughs> I, so I was like that so really I was going thanks mate but I know I'm rubbish this happened it's rubbish and I kind of and then obviously Dylan went on and he's brilliant and smashed it <laughs> absolutely bought the gig together yeah, yeah. you know did all the things that you need to do to you know that can congeal a a group of people into an audience and absolutely you know like i wouldn't say tore the roof off the place because i don't think that you could in that gig but it, it certainly felt like a gig when he was doing it and you know and he sat down afterwards and saying and he took time and said this is what i did this is this is why it worked this is these these are the kind of skills that you don't have right now that needs you know and really took time and I, i'm really grateful for that like, uh, it, to, yeah. yeah, to give you to give you advice and to encourage you, that's nothing but good. Yeah. And so it was my worst gig. But like, I do think that, you know, like that, um, that experience of just being kind of included as, as, yeah, as, yeah, as a comedian so. was. Um, and in terms of best gig, I, I think, I mean, the first gig is always the best gig, really, because that's what hooks you. But I always think my, my best gigs are the ones like I don't have a particular best gig. I love the Arthur Seat gig that I do on, on Arthur Seat in Edinburgh every year. And like and I couldn't pick one out of those. But the reason why it's my favorite gig is it's is it's the embodiment, I think, of what comedy or the fringes it's shouldn't work. Right. Yeah. It's on it's outside. It could rain at any minute. It's in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> but it somehow does. And everybody kind of comes together. And I always think a gig is, you know, I think, I think as humans, it's easy for us to see the person talking is in control. And it's not the case. We are all here to have a gig. You know, exactly. like if you've got, if yeah, you've got totally an audience, it's like there's this great a friend of mine who's a storyteller has this thing of speaker theory. But what it is, is like the speaker, it just happens to be the person behind the microphone. But really, we're all there to have a gig. That's what yeah. we're there. Yeah, yeah. That person isn't doing it. We're all joining in. Like you with your laugh, are just as, you know, with your signature laugh. <laughs> as, but as important as every other person and the community. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of, there's an egoistic kind of sense of our culture of like, oh, they're the important person because they've got the microphone. But I, for me, the best gigs are when everybody is there together. You're there in the room or you're there anywhere else. And that's why I like the, the Arthur Seat gig, because there's, there's a real sense of we are all here together. And this is a special thing that we're all creating in this. And about 200 people show up to it and it shouldn't work, but it does. It and, always um, does every year, doesn't it? It's, 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 yeah. it's, it's wonderful. That's, that, that's, again, that's a great answer. Um, 
You mentioned before about nerves. Um, do you suffer from nerves? Did you suffer from nerves? And if so, how do you get over them before you do a gig? Yeah, it's a it's a tough thing. I don't suffer from nerves on a day to day gig, but what I do find is that I can often, if it's an important gig or if, it's, if there's a particular reviewer in, I can crumble quite easily. Right. Like I was, because I was quite heavily bullied at school, and like my, I have the sense of if somebody's coming to judge me, <laughs> or if somebody, if I think somebody dislikes me, mm-hmm. I absolutely crumble. My confidence goes, you right. know, and and. Um, and so what can sometimes happen sometimes happen in gigs is if it's an important one, like a competition final. I remember a couple of competition finals or if there's a particular TV person in or or a particular reviewer that's I know has reviewed me badly before. I can end up I can do the job, but I just can't. I get very nervous beforehand and I can't do it in a relaxed way. So I don't kind of get into the zone and I, I go withdraw within myself and don't necessarily kind of. I'm not as relaxed. That that is surprising because whenever I've seen you, you're always very confident on stage. Yeah, well, it, it's at specific times, but it's definitely something that I have. And like I tell you something, the, the confidence I do have on stage most of the time, I'm lucky to have. But you know where it comes from? It's not confidence. It's almost like a joy that we're all here doing it. And I always think the, the strongest form of confidence is playfulness. If yeah. you can get in the spirit of play and you can get everyone to join you in the spirit of play, it comes across as confident. But what really is, it's, you know, it's a naturalness that we all have when we're on in our element. You know, everybody in their element is confident and passionate and charismatic. And it's just if you put them out of their element, everyone's a nervous, scaredy cat of like what's going on or whatever. That, but but that, I'm, that's you know. really, really interesting because um I, I wanted a uh, stand-up comedy club near to where I live. I live in South London, and uh, that, that resembled like a fringe room. And so I found Always Be Comedy about six years ago, the, the Tommy Field in Kennington. And Brilliant gig. It is superb. And um, every, every time I would go to any comedy club, I would either sit mid-row or at the back because I thought my laugh will carry it. I didn't have much confidence in myself. And my friend said, come along and sit on the front row. And that was it. And it was this inclusion of getting everybody involved. So now I've got this front row seat whenever I go. And James Gill, the compare, always says to me, you know, if you don't turn up, the comedians are wanting to know where where is he? (laughs) And and that's like uh, amazing, you know, and I'm thinking, my God, all I go and do is is go and laugh. And it it, it does build confidence whether you're on stage or sitting in the audience. There's no doubt about it, you know, And, 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 and they do it very much like yourself. They do it in a very playful way. They're not having a go at anybody. They just want everybody to get involved and have a great time. And what's not to love? You know, that's that's that, that's the magic of it. Um, let's move on to the Edinburgh Fringe. Uh, at the time of recording, we've just had the uh, 75th Edinburgh Fringe, which is yeah. extraordinary. Um, uh, I celebrated my 55th birthday at the start of August as well, so I'm 20 nice. years behind them. <laughs> 20 years behind the Fringe. Um, You'll catch up. You're grand. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I... Um, uh, I've been very, very lucky uh, in that uh, my holiday is the Fringe. I've, I've been going every year since 2005, apart from the two years in the pandemic. 
So this would be something like my 15th year. And I, and I see about 50 shows in a week. Need holiday by the time I come yeah. back. But I have the <laughs> best time. And it was lovely seeing you there. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, um, uh, you know, it was, just, it was just wonderful this year. Um, tell me about your experience of your very first Fringe uh, and um, uh, what, what was it like for you? Well, I've got I've got two stories around that. My very first fringe was I'd been working at Burger King. I'd heard about the the fringe, and I took I took five days, and I went up there to Edinburgh, and I um I stayed at the hostel, the High Street hostel that was I don't think it was in Nidry Street, but it was in the street a lot Blackfriars Street, just yeah. next to one down from Nidry Street, and and it was the first time where I'd really kind of taken any time away. We didn't holiday much when I was a kid and I just turned up and it was amazing because the hostel, they give out free comps tickets. I mean, so that year I wow. was just in my element. So like, because if shows weren't selling well, they'd paper the, the and the hostel was a great place for people to get audience. So yeah. I saw Logan Murray that year in the wee room, um, Dara O'Brien doing yeah. an awful show about physics. I mean, bless him. He was so in-depth. <laughs> must be a first. Attended. I know, I know. Like, it's so, like, I, I feel so lucky sometimes. To, when I, I always feel lucky when I see somebody that's brilliant struggling. Because yeah, it's, yeah. It, 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 you, not for them, I feel bad for them, but it's, you learn so much. And it also allows, you know, <clears throat> it allows you to see a little bit behind the curtain. It's such a, you know, it's such a gift. I think, but um, you know, it's a really interesting show, but it was too dense because it was all about physics. He, he's just got a doctorate, he's, he, yeah, he's mad on science, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it was amazing to watch, but it was like, you know, I mean, yeah. and that might have been the case because I was like, you know, 16 at the time, 16, yeah. 17, and um, uh, and so I went up and got absolutely hooked for it. I saw Bid and Bob, which is Jerry Sadowitz and Logan Murray on Carlton Hill, wow, which is an insane show, um. And the, this happened the first year. So I'm there and I know all the performers, a lot of them from seeing Glastonbury Festival. And I went to see um, Jeff Green, who's a comedian. He's oh, comedian, Moved to Australia, great comedian, yeah. the comic store regular, super, real super friends good. of Sean Nock and, and Bill Bailey yeah. and that kind of crowd. Yeah. And so I, I went to see him and then he's in the Pleasance Bar afterwards. And I just go up to him and go, hello, because <laughs> I'm, you know, a young kid that's just trying to, I don't know anyone else in Edinburgh. And we start talking and I'm really, he's talking to other people and I'm just standing next to him. Like <laughs> I'm trying to bring out. And anyway, then Bill Bailey um, comes up to him and goes, we're going for a pizza do you want to, to Jeff, do you want to come? And he went, yeah, I'll come. And I said, I just went, can I come? Right. So, I, so, and he was, bless him, because he's really polite. He just kind of went, yeah, yeah, I guess so, right? Uh, I get into a cab. I get in a cab with Jeff Green, Bill Bailey, Sean Locke. Um, uh, wow. Two other people. I think Hattie Hayridge as well. Oh, and wow. We, we, we go off to this Italian restaurant, get in the cab to this Italian restaurant. And we're all sat around the restaurant. And I've got no money. I've got nothing. I've got, like, I've got, I can't afford to eat a meal. I've just asked myself into this thing. Like, Bill, I'm sat next to Bill Bailey. And at one point, Bill Bailey turns to me, so, yeah, what do you do? And I, just, I went, A-levels? A and he went, oh, right, what, what A-levels are you doing? Like, it, I was, there was, 
and I was just listening in awe to the conversation, <laughs> not quite knowing what a joke was, what, when it was, was <laughs> a joke. I, I remember, I remember going to the toilet and coming back, and there being this awkward silence around the table, which must have been them going, "Who the hell is this kid? What is he doing here?" Um, like I couldn't afford a pizza, so I just ordered the cheapest starter that I could afford and just ate oh, it as way. slowly as I possibly could as I sat there. And bless them, they kind of like you know included me as best they can, as you can a kind of like slightly awkward seventeen. What a what a builder! What a what a what! I mean, I mean that is a routine. That story. That's that's yeah. wonderful. What a what a what a start! What a start to your fringe. That that that, that was brilliant. What's the, what's the other story you've got? Oh, um, well, the second time I went to the Fringe was by accident. I was entered for a competition called So You Think You're Funny. Back then, So You Think You're Funny wasn't, um, uh, you didn't apply for it. You got nominated for it. So, and Steve Langt had obviously been asked, who would you recommend for So You Think You're Funny? And um, he put my name into the ring. And so, right, you're in the semifinals of So You Think You're Funny in Edinburgh on this day. Anyway, I... I couldn't do it because I couldn't get up there. I didn't have the money that year. I, there was no way for me to get up. But it just so happened that I was in London doing a gig for somebody called Melanie Miller, who um, had booked me for a series of gigs. And Melanie, she ran this place called the Red Rose uh, Red Rose Cafe, which is yes. um, Red Rose Comedy Club in um, Finsbury Park. And I went up. To, I went up there. I did the gig, and she went, "Oh, are you going to Edinburgh?" And I said, um, <laughs> I, "I well, I've got a gig in Edinburgh, so you think you're funny?" And she was like, oh, "That's a good." <laughs> you know are you going to do that and i said no I, I, I can't get up there i've not got any money you know like i you've got nowhere no way of getting up there and she went i'm driving up there tonight I, you can come up with me if you like wow so i went up with her and her friend susan <laughs> and ended up her family stayed in musselburgh i lived yeah. in musselburgh. so i ended up living in musselburgh for three days with her mum and dad <laughs> Right, wow, and she, she, she paid me up front for like five gigs so that I had some money. And she That's just dropped, dropped me off in the middle of Edinburgh, like with this money that I, I had. To, and then that night, I had the gig, which I died on my ass for because if Edinburgh is anything, it's if the Edinburgh Festival is anything, it doesn't like puns. And all I had at that stage was puns. They looked at me like. In, in Dorset, they love a pun, but in, in Edinburgh, uh, they're like, this isn't sophisticated enough for us. And um, and anyway, so I, I I was a bit gutted that I didn't do very well. And and but that and then that night, I um I didn't have anywhere to stay. I went to see Matt Luke Matt's show, Matt Lucas's show. Yeah. And um, at the assembly that year, and um and then Matt said I could stay with him. I stayed with him and and David Walliams for a night because they were living in the same place. And then I had to figure out how to get home because I was like, oh no, how do I get home? I haven't got quite enough money for the bus. Thing, so <laughs> I I had to phone my parents and go, um, I'm in Edinburgh. Oh no. Like, um, so, but uh, yeah, I think my dad bought a ticket that I can that I could then get back on a on a yeah. National Express. So, so, so yeah. what again? What year was this when you first went up? I think that must have been ninety seven. Um, right. Yeah, it was. It was ninety six, ninety seven. Yeah. And have, and have you been going every year since? Every year since I've taken two years off and I've done everything. I've performed on the street. I, I performed on the street with a thirteen year old called Ruben, um, wow. who could. He was thirteen years old and he could juggle fire from a six foot unicycle. Absolutely phenomenal. Unbelievable. That's, that's now a male model. He's the he's the, he's, he's hilarious. He's got about hundred thousand followers on Instagram. Wow! And, uh, but anyway, so I did street performing with him. I've done sketch shows. 
I've done um, stand-up shows. I've done shows on Arthur's Seat. I've done um, pretty much every uh, everything in Edinburgh that you could be part of. Um, and I've, uh, yeah, I've gone bankrupt from taking shows to Edinburgh. I went bankrupt in 2007. Nice. Because in 99, 2000, 2001, 2002 and 2004, like it just cost so much money to pay for a show. It's, it's, and like, it's far too much. It really is. But but um, it's still cheaper than going to see them on tour. The actual ticket price is the actual ticket, the accommodation. It is. It's as simple it as that. It is going up. But at, at that time, I didn't think I had any other way of making it as a comedian. Yeah. And yeah. As a young kid from a, a council estate in Dorset, I yeah. just didn't know well, yeah. how else would you do it. So all I did was borrow money. Then I'd work for 11 months trying to work off the debt. And then I'd get work off half of it. And then I'd borrow money again. It cost about £5,000 each year to do it. Yeah, and, you know, yeah, you need yeah. flyers and venue yeah. and double rent because yeah. you're paying rent in London and, yeah. and as well as Edinburgh. And um, and it just got more and more into debt. And then I ended up, um, you're like this, I ended up in the 2007 show, I changed my name by deed poll to Lionel Richie for the show. Like it was a publicity stunt that really, we had a fun campaign around it. But it did mean that when I went bankrupt, I went bankrupt as Lionel Richie. Barry Ferns did not go bankrupt. <laughs> I, I had to go to the Royal Courts of Justice, put my hand on the Bible and say, I, Lionel Richie, solemnly swear. And the clerk of the court laughed in my face, Richard. One of your laughs. He absolutely laughed in my face. Uh, because that, <laughs> that's that, brilliant was, uh, but yeah and that was all because of edinburgh that was all because of edinburgh. so 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 all these many years that you're going tell me about your current project which i know about which which you're you've you've very kindly told me in the past you're you're writing a book aren't you yeah so i'm writing a book because i always think the the magic about edinburgh so i there aren't that many books about the edinburgh fringe and it's been going 75 years and crucially there aren't many books about all the brilliant performers people have seen. Yeah. Nobody really knows about. Now, I, you know, you often hear about the stars, like, you know, Eddie Izzard had a five-year plan and went there and became famous off doing yeah. shows at Edinburgh. But what you don't really hear about is, you know, like the unknown people, like, I don't know, Twonky's Kingdom. Do you know Twonky's Kingdom? I've Tw heard of him. Tw Twonky came back year after year after year yeah. with these ornate puppets. And it was absolutely bonkers. Yeah, yeah. Totally tonto, the shows. But they were magical. Like, you know, what's happened to Paul that does those? Or or even acts like Earl Oaken that didn't necessarily get huge fame, but yeah. it's a brilliant, brilliant act. Yeah, yeah. Um, or, you know, or people that just came up one year and it was what they did before they went on to have a family or become the farmer that they were. Because the thing about the Fringe that I think is magical is it accepts everyone. Now, exactly. Yeah. The Pleasance venue doesn't accept everyone or any of the particular venues, but really, if you want to do it, you can find a place to you can find a place and, to do it. And you know, and that's what the fringe was. And it's people have got a passion, however crazy that passion is, and they're like, you know what? I want to juggle dogs. And I, I juggle dogs naked. That's my thing. You know, I want to see it. I think this can make make you know, and the fringe where it goes, all right, come along, let's see how that goes for you. And, and well, then, and that's, you know. well, I wish you, I wish you every success with the book, and I would love to be in it. I'd love to have a chat with you about it because definitely we're gonna have a proper chat. Yeah, definitely because my uh, experiences of going are, are exactly that. I what I do is I, I there's about ten people that come along with me at different times of the week, and I try and cater for everybody with different sorts of 
facts and whatnot, so I can uh, I produce spreadsheets every year, which I've got and whatnot. What is what is coming across is your love of supporting comedians like me. It's a bit like me with the blog. The, the blog is not just big names; it's up and coming comedians. And I saw this uh, when I saw you compare the comedy. And the new comedian at uh, Hast- the Hastings Fringe. Oh, just yeah, the Hastings. That was a lovely gig, that. Yeah, Edinburgh. Yeah. yeah. And you compare a lot of them. And and you, you're, you're, are, you, are you based at Angel Comedy? Is that where you mainly do your comparing of gigs? Or, or do you go right around London? Yeah, I, well, I go around the country. I go kind of wherever I'm asked. Yeah. Uh, I do Comedia a good amount. I had the boat yeah. show. Up yeah. like I'm you know I'm around London at different gigs but yeah. Angel Comedy what Angel Comedy was was in 2010 I formed bankrupt three years before right and I'd not really emceed at that point and I started emceeing a gig at the Camden Head which is where the old Meccano Club used to be that started yeah, in 1985 yeah. is where Eddie is I did his first gigs and um you know and lots of other people came through there and did amazing gigs there so uh, and what um what happened was I'd got, I got. I I was a much better MC than I thought. I, you know, I didn't know I'd be this good, and yeah, I was very lucky. And I say I'm this good. I don't mean that in a. I just mean that I'm good at caring about the gig and bringing people together, and people really enjoy it. And I'm quite quick on my feet. My brain's very ADHD. It's all over the place. So and it, it, that lends itself to a creative kind of good MC. And it became so busy the, the one night I was running that then the pub went do you want to run a second night and I went all right I'll run a second night and wow. then, then we had queues around the block and at the time I was also emceeing uh, with somebody that I was going out with called Katerina Vrana who's a Greek comedian brilliant Greek comedian and we were going out together at the time and um and the pub kind of grew up around my emceeing and also Katerina's to some degree she was there a lot and um that's and brilliant it, and then it was three nights a week five nights a week, seven nights a week. And that was always free. And the whole idea of the club was, it was all of my friends, a lot of my friends on the circuit that time didn't have an agent. They had nowhere to perform to a busy room that was a good room. And right. the reason the club came up was we decided, you know what, instead of paying a hundred pounds to get to Hartlepool to do a five minute spot and not get paid for it, why don't we take that money and pay for a big headliner like Richard Herring came along or Izzy Sooty and make it a free gig so that we know we're going to get a big audience every, you know, Friday or Saturday. So, cause you've got this headliner and then we get a nice gig and we also get to book our brilliant friends who are all kind of like brilliant acts, but they're not on TV or they don't have the big agents. And then that's what it became really. So it, it built up accidentally. I never wanted to run a comedy gig, but it, or run a club, but it built up around me because I loved what I was doing and around Katerina and Sarah Pearson Linus at the time. And, and it kind of took off because of that. And also because there was nowhere else for acts at that time that had shorter slots and no agents to perform, you know, so it was a, that's fact, such, a good, skill. That's such a good James thing skill. you've done. Such a good yeah. thing you've done. Thank you. And uh, like James Gill comes and came to do the gig early days. His early gigs were at the Angel Comedy Club. And I mean, he's always been brilliant. But what he's done at ABC, again, it, it's, I think, quite similar to Angel. I actually, yeah. you can you can tell tell James about this. But I actually, before the Bill Murray started, I actually met up with James and said, do you want to start a comedy club? 
And Joe's <laughs> like, you can't start a comedy club. Let me start a comedy club. And, he, you know, because he's he's also very responsible. I'm a bit of a maverick. I've changed my name to Lionel Richie. I'm a bit mental and all that. And James was just going, I'm not going to get myself... I'm going to get involved with this. <laughs> but he has. He's started his own club there. And it's, you know, I mean, ABC is a magical club. It's beautiful. And a lot of that is to do with James. James loves yeah. everyone. He brings everyone together. He's got a real sense of togetherness. Nobody is sh- um, told to go away from ABC. Everyone is family and everyone is welcome. Yeah, I, yeah. I hope that is true of Angel as well. Like very, it, very it, much so. I mean, I mean, the times that I went there, you can tell uh, that you can see the similarities. Everybody was very warm. Uh, you had a wonderful audience who were up for it. Um, you had two or three shows per per night, even, um, yeah. and and it was just fun. It, it, it was a wonderful room. Uh, it was it, it, it was just fantastic. So well That's done. Great. And um, I'm 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 really pleased for you. Let's right, let's so move I, I'll on. I'll just say it's a team yeah. effort, though. There are a lot yeah. of us to do it. It's a total team effort. So yeah. I can I happen to be the lucky one to start it, but it is absolutely <laughs> all of us. So pass on your your well done. Please well. do. Yes, please. Um, move moving on from that. Um, talking about a lot of comedians. Who makes you laugh? Uh, who oh. are your favourite comedians, past and present? Um, did you have comedy growing up? My favourites are Sean Locke, Bill Bailey, um, Eddie Izzard. Um, I once there was a show called Rock with Sean Bailey and Sean Bailey, sorry, Sean Locke and Bill Bailey, where I think Bill was played a rock star and Sean played his roadie. That was just a brilliant show. I remember that, yeah. But do you? Yeah, it was in, yeah. in the Pleasance one yeah. or the the Pleasance beside. Um, but um, yeah, I uh, so and I like the the slightly surreal ones, uh, comedians that can really write a joke. So um, and Bill and Sean are very particular like that. They 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 seem surreal, but it's so well put together. It's, I also like it's such a sad loss, Sean Locke. Just just interrupting you. It's, I mean, what totally what, that, what that comedian could have done, and and Bill Bailey is just one of the best. He really is. Sorry, sorry, carry on. But no, Bill Bailey is consistently the mm. best, and Sean such a shame because there there mm. wasn't a for a long time. Sean was the comedian's comedian, and I loved him. And I was like, why is this person not on TV? I know he went on TV, but there was a time where all of the people the other people that i found really funny were like popping up on tv bill bailey was there joe yeah. brand everyone else but sean wasn't and but it was great to see him succeed because like he was brilliant for years before he was on tv as well i i saw him live twice i think before he was on tv and you could see the spark it, it was igniting I, I, I said before it's one of the wonderful things about the blog writing all the gigs down you're watching them grow and he was a classic example in it and and it, when he was ready for tv it was just perfect he really yeah. was yeah the timing the, yeah. Um, but i'm a big fan of the more surreal is better because then it gets me out of my own head so like <laughs> like um i love you know um uh, Paul Foot, um, yeah. uh, Tony Law. Um, yeah. I, uh, I, I really, you know what? This year, Edinburgh. Who did I enjoy? I really like Bobby Mayer as well. I know it's not surreal, oh, but superb. I thought Bobby was like, yeah. you know, really the epitome of a really, really good comedian and really mm. well put together. I like Red Richardson as well. Yeah. Um, I always think of them both in the same breath. 
But um, and uh, you know, Catherine Ryan is super. In fact, Harriet Kemsley, Bobby's yeah. partner, is also brilliant. But there are, I mean, the thing is, there are so many great comedians around at the moment that you kind of like, you know, you could you could name a lot. But I think, yeah, those those ones that you first connect with when you're um, younger as well, I think have a special place, you know. Well, the, re the reason why I do the, do the blog is Morecambe and Wise for me. I can, yeah, I can, I can my remember, God. I can remember aged about four-year-old, um, the entire family, old or young, crying at the TV with laughter. Yeah. And um, I never, ever got to see them. I've got everything behind me, all the books and everything, um, and seen all the plays and everything about it, but and met the son and you know, but but I'm, I've never uh, seen them live. But I've seen everybody else. I saw Ken Dodd, um, the two Ronnies, uh, Mark, um, Tommy Cooper, Les Dawson, wow. all in the seventies, and then into the eighties. It was Victoria Wood and all the um, uh, alternative Chris. I saw French and Saunders, Rick Mail. Um, uh, uh, on and on and on, Frank Skinner, Jack D, and then uh, uh, right up until like it got weekly, you know, in 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 the two thousands, where you, I'm very good at picking a bill of comedians for mm. someone who doesn't normally go, and if you've got five yeah. of them, at least one of them they will like, and and it's that that's the magic of it i love going to shows where i've never heard of them and and you said you said before about um being in the moment that's what it's all about being live for me you, you i i like to go out on a saturday or a friday night or whatever have a few beers and then sit down and say right how are you going to entertain me and mm -hmm. what you all do for me is magical it really is so thank you I uh, know, but thank you. Like I said, it's it's all everyone, isn't it? We all make yeah, it happen. It is. It you is. Know. It's amazing. Um, I've much enjoyed talking to you. Uh, Likewise. Um, I, I I I really have. Um, just before we go, uh, is there anything else you'd like to say? Have you got any podcasts? Have you got any shows that you want to promote? Uh, any book? Well, well, you've got your book coming out, which I will of course buy and hopefully be in. <laughs> well, I've, I've, I've to say coming out. I, I've got to write it yet. So you got to write it. But um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm always making stuff. So I've, I've got a couple of podcasts. One's called the Obituary Show, which is a fake obituary show. One's a um called Ambient Tales for Traumatized Children, where I work with um music producers and put sketches with them. And it's I mean it's it, I'm very proud of those those podcasts because they're all yeah, self produced and um. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I'm at the moment. I'm trying to um, put this book together. At the same time, is actually put together a show that I think can go around the world a bit because I've never been to Australia and New Zealand for those festivals, and I thought I'd like to go um, before I don't know uh, Donald Trump gets back into power and blows everyone up. So <laughs> yeah, like, you know, and travel before that happens. <laughs> well, um, uh, where where can people find you on social media? Um, my, I'm at Barry at Barry Barry Ferns on Instagram, um, or at Barry Ferns on um, on Twitter. But, well, uh, but yeah, and then I'll be I'm at Angel Comedy this weekend. Next week I'm at the Boat Show. The next weekend after that I'm at Comedia. 
so I'm kind of I'm around. But the good thing about comedians these days is you don't just have to put them into Instagram, and it will tell you everywhere that they're away. Well, well, I for one am coming to see you very, very soon. I think you're oh, a bless you. I think you're an extremely funny man, and you always make me laugh so much. So thank you very much for that. And thank you so much for being a great guest. It's been wonderful. And all the best to you. It's a pleasure. And I'm looking forward to you you being on the other side of these questions for the Edinburgh Fringe podcast. So thank you very much. Definitely, my friend. Definitely. All all the best to you. All the best. Thank you.